When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Monty Vanderbilt has supported Independent Tech News directly for around five years. Be like Monty. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, May 28th, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And uh, from uh, Parts Unknown, I am the show's producer, Roger Jank. And I'm the intern, Anthony Lemos. Also producing the show today. Uh, and joining us, uh, co-host of AVXL and HDTV reviewer, Robert Heron. Welcome back, Robert. Hey, thank you. Always good to be with you guys. Always good to have you here uh, to tell us what's going on in the fast-moving world of televisions and TV th- and home theater. Let us start, however, with some Computex things you should know. AMD announced the three first three new chips from the third-gen Ryzen lineups will arrive July 7th. They are t- uh, two 7-nanometer Ryzen 7 CPUs and the first Ryzen 9, all on the existing, existing AM4 socket and claiming to be the first PCI Express 4.0 compliant desktop platform. The Ryzen 7s double total memory cache to reduce memory latency. AMD also announced the first GPU to use its new Navi architecture. The 7-nanometer Radeon RX 5700 features GDDR6 uh, memory, Delivery in 25% better performance per clock per core and 50% better power efficiency than existing Vega-based cards. Their RX 5700 will be released sometime in July. It's hardware palooza at Computex. NVIDIA announced Turing-based Quadro RTX professional laptop cards. The Quadro RTX 5000 has 3,072 CUDA cores, 384 Tensor cores, and 48 RT cores paired with 16 gigabytes of GDDR6 RAM. 17 laptops from Asus, Dell, HP, MSI, Razer, Gigabyte, and Acer will carry the new cards with the branding RTX Studio. Aside from the cards, the laptops will also feature the NVIDIA Studio Stack, a software SDK, and APIs designed to speed up video editing, rendering, and vector animation. According to NVIDIA, RTX Studio laptops will start at $1,600, starting in the second half of the year. 
Arm also announced the Cortex A77 CPU and the Mali G77 GPU. Arm claims that the Cortex A77 improves performance by 20% per clock over the previous A76, with 25% better machine learning performance as well. The Mali G77 GPU uses the Valhall GPU design with 40% overall better performance and 30% more power efficiency than its predecessor. It also runs machine learning interference and neural network load. 60% faster. And let's see, AMD, ARM, uh, what, NVIDIA. Oh, right, Intel. They still make chips. Intel showed off the Core i9-9900KS. It's an 8-core, 16-thread processor capable of running all cores at a turbo frequency of 5 gigahertz. Technically, the CPU has a stock frequency of 4 gigahertz, but it'll only run at that frequency if a motherboard uses default Intel BIOS, which generally isn't the case. Intel confirmed this isn't new silicon, Rather, i90-9900K chips specifically are binned to run at the higher frequency all the time. Pricing, release, and power consumption were not announced. Intel also announced it will start the 10th generation of its core line of processors codenamed Ice Lake with a series of laptop-oriented chips. So there's the chip. The chips were all down at Computex, uh, if you wanted to know about the chips. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, the chips were up for the chips that were down at Computex. Depends on how you phrase it. Anyway, let's talk a little more about uh, Apple announcing a new product. I'm excited. What is it, Sarah? Oh, Tom, I'm glad you asked. Apple announced an update to the iPod Touch, which includes an A10 Fusion chip and a new 256-gigabyte uh, storage model. Now, you might say, mm, is that really relevant? Well, it's the first update since the 6th Gen iPod Touch was released back in 2015. So, you know, it's years in the making. The new iPod Touch starts at $199 for the 32-gig model, $299 for the 128-gig model, or $399 for the new 256-gig model. I'll be honest, I never thought Apple would update this product line again. I figured they would just phase it out. Uh, and, and figure, you know, people just buy the cheapest iPhone available and maybe pop the SIM card out if they wanted to give it to a kid or something uh, and not give them a connection. But uh, this this is there because somebody's going to buy it. Do any of us, Robert, do you have any idea who the market for new iPod touches are? Maybe, maybe somebody who wouldn't want to use their mobile device and a streaming service or you're not into doing it yourself with your mobile device, which probably already has a really good you know, audio digital converter built into it uh, or analog digital converter. Uh, for me, it's it's definitely not for me. But if if you wanted that standalone device, though, that could just literally store all of your compressed tunes and be able to take that with you anywhere, like on the plane or or somewhere you're not generally going to have Internet access, that it could be cool. But I have gigs of storage in my phone, plenty to hold all the songs I could possibly listen to in a month. So yeah. it, it, it ain't for me. To me, this seems like, um, you know, it has an advantage over, you know, again, like swapping out a SIM or taking it out and, you know, giving it to your kid because it can run the latest iOS better. Um, and the idea that it's not a phone, but it could play lots of games as long as you have a Wi-Fi network also makes sense to me. The price is high for that. But I think that Apple is is banking on the fact that it wants more and more people to be subscribed to its various services, and the iPod Touch would be another way to do that. So the Touch still runs all of the iOS apps for the most part, just like the yeah. phone would. Okay, so that yeah. there is a great yeah. use case, and like you said, for kids, and, and, and it may be a limited for, use case for what you're talking about, Sarah. But it's cheaper than a phone. 
right? The the equivalent phones exactly. at the same storage level are, are quite a bit more expensive. So, yeah. The World Wide Web Consortium, a.k.a. the W3C, has decided to hand over development of HTML and DOM standards to the Web Hypertext Application Technology Working Group, or what I will now refer to as what WG? Uh, <laughs> what WG was started by browser developers. Uh, the, the developers were originally at Apple, Opera, and Mozilla. Uh, one of the Opera guys moved to Google. So now the group is made up of people at Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Mozilla. And that group was founded in 2004 to help speed up development of HTML standards. The group actually developed HTML5 and led the effort to get W3C approval for it. In 2018, the W3C and WhatWG differed over version 4.1 of the Document Object Model, or DOM, which was not approved. And because of that dispute, they've now worked out an agreement. Under this new agreement, W3C members will draft recommendations to be given to WhatWG, and then WhatWG will consider those and include them or not include them in the HTML and DOM living standards. So the standards will be continually upgraded. There will not be this process where the browser makers put things in their browsers and then three years later they become part of the HTML standard. Uh, This is hoped to speed that system up so that you have the living standard that gets continually updated and it's updated by people who work on the browsers and know what features are going to be implemented in the browsers and which ones won't work. I guess my question is, and, and this all makes sense as far as, you know, things move quickly, you know, you, you, you want to make a, a, a enhancements to a browser and not have to worry about the W3C to say like, yes, this is fine. Does the W3C need to exist? Yes, I, it absolutely does, because you need that organization that looks over all these various standards. They do more than just these two. Uh, and I actually think this is the best way to do it. People who are like, browsing standards affect me, but I don't make a browser, can now give their recommendations of, hey, this is going to affect the apps I make, the services I run. I'm not a browser maker, though, so I have different considerations. I, I think this is a better way to do it. HP first released the original Omen X backpack VR system back in 2016. Do you remember that? Now it's got an updated version with the same case, same dock, but a more comfortable form factor and updated specs. The notable thing is that the Omen X is not only compatible with HP's own reverb headset, but also the V, the Vive, the Oculus, and any other VR headset as well. When not used as a VR backpack, the main computer chassis can live in its dock and be connected to a traditional display a mouse, and a keyboard like a regular PC. Demos of the pack include OSHA training and a virtual trip to Helsinki. (laughs) That plus the $3,300 price tells you that HB is still targeting this for commercial use. I like this. I mean, it's not a big development, to be honest, except it makes it more comfortable. When you're talking about backpack VR, that's a huge Huge and that's, that's always been the issue with yeah. you know with VR, right? It's like, yeah, like how clunky is it? You know, the, the more comfortable it, it is, the better. And especially when you're talking about carrying it on your back, it's not just comfortable on your head. It's a backpack with a computer in it, uh, basically. And I, I wonder how many businesses need this level of VR for training. I would think you know some desktops sitting at desks with VR headsets for OSHA training might be good. 
But this does open up what you can do with them because it allows you to walk anywhere. There's no restriction on where you can go as long as you have that inside-out sensor on the headset itself and you're not relying on trackers, which is the common thing with headsets now. Uh, you, you know, there's a safety issue, obviously, of where you should and should not walk, which is hilarious when you're talking about OSHA training. But it does free you <laughs> up to, to, to have a more flexible application on these things. Well, I've never been to Helsinki, so I'm excited to try it out. <laughs> honestly, that too. Robert, what do you make of this stuff? It's interesting. It's it just seems like a hack until we have phones powerful enough to drive these kind, or at least smaller computers that have superb all day battery life that could still drive a VR headset. Granted, you ain't getting 4K for two eyes at 120 hertz or 90 plus hertz out of any mobile device right now. So if it still requires the backpack. And if they can somehow maybe incorporate enough battery power to make it truly portable, especially if you're going to be using this commercially, likely in different scenarios and scenes, be it indoors or outdoors, I I don't want to be tied to an extension cord. Otherwise, I might as well just set it up in a room and do it all there. Uh, If it were more like an augmented reality setup, I could see this being even more practical because then you still have the vision of everything around you and you're just simply overlaying the data like that. And you could do a lot of cool development and other, other projects using a system like this, but a $3,300 backpack just to have VR be a little more portable. Mm, I'm more. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to, even, even though I, I, I see the technology moving forward, it's hard to hear a story like this and not be like, one of these days we're all going to laugh at the fact that the backpack got lighter or more comfortable. Remember when people like actually put VR on their backpacks? Like it does seem like a stopgap measure for now at the same time, because you know, people are trying to figure out how this all works. It's uh, it sounds like it's, it's, you know, moving in the right direction. Yeah. The question to me is, do you want, like Robert said, do you want your phone to power your headset or do you want the headset to have everything built in? Because eventually, <laughs> yeah, eventually that will be the question of like, do you want yeah. your phone to power it? And then, you know, you could even keep your phone in your pocket potentially, and it will just, you know, send it to a, send its power and display to the headset. Or do you want the headset to be independent and be its own device? Or maybe just maybe something like uh, Google Stadia and being able to do more backend computing and then just fully get the headset down to nothing but the display yeah, system yeah. and all the wireless uh, the wireless networking and other performance that would need to occur for something like that. Maybe this is what they're aiming that at as well, where it's more for commercial development. Oh yeah. This is absolutely for commercial so, development. They're, they're leaving the door open for gamers who want to just say, yeah, I have a cool backpack uh, VR. But this is this, <laughs> yeah, like the, most the price VR. point is. Yeah. Most VR is, is aimed at businesses these days that that's where you can find people who can afford it and want it. Sony's launching a low-power wide area or LPWA chip for Internet of Things devices to take advantage of Sony's proprietary LTRES network launching this fall. The LPWA chip can transmit up to 60 miles. 60 miles. Uh, It also works well in urban areas with a lot of potential interference and can work on high-speed objects like cars and trains. The LPWA chips have a much longer range than Wi-Fi and use less power than cellular. 
uh, Wi-Fi is is great, but it doesn't work over long distances. And cellular is great, but it eats up your battery. This doesn't do either. It's perfect for Internet of Things. The CXM1501GR chip, as it is called, transmits signals in the 920 megahertz band and can use GPS or global navigation system to tell time and location. Use cases include things like bicycle and car rentals, knowing where they are, uh, locating ships uh, that are that are doing shipping transit, uh, home delivery. You can actually track the package itself, not just by scan. Uh, boat races, monitoring when your train or bus is going to come, even things like street lamps, uh, being able to tell you if they're working properly, if the amount of lighting in a smart city is proper. Uh, they they put one out about helping friends find each other on ski hills where it's you know pretty vast and hard to see people. Sony's going to start with a build out in Japan and we'll see how it goes from there. All right. So dumb question. Uh, this sounds great for a lot of moving parts. Why wouldn't it replace Wi-Fi in the home? Um, because it's not powerful enough to do all the data you want. This is like a small amount of data, right? That's my guess, uh, is, is that this is, this is about, uh, I need to get the internet of things, amount of data across a long distance. Got it. It's not about routing the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, man, I, you know, as a, as a person who seeks to live on a train one day, I, I love the idea of this. Um, and it, yeah. Uh, like maybe a ski slope doesn't really apply to me, but but I get what they're going for here. And uh, it sounds like the, the tests, at least uh, so far, have been really promising. It could also possibly be used as just a like an over-the-top tracker as well, something like the uh, tile mm-hmm. chips used to be. And if you could do something that truly had its own well beyond Bluetooth range, where, you know, a few miles even through buildings and things like that, and to be able to, you know, have it. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence, Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. 
To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. At least send out, say, GPS coordinates for where that object is. And if you could then have the whole thing nice and compact and last a few years with low yeah. power, that would be Because this isn't going to stream Netflix. Uh, no. But if you just need a, a, a light or, or a bus to be able to say, I'm here, I've looked at my GPS and I know where I am. Uh, that that's what this is for. I'm curious if there's any non-proprietary versions of this under development as well out there. If anybody's aware of that, send us an email. I've seen several chips like these in other just people putting together cool uses as to what to do with this technology. And there's, I want to say Sierra Wireless is one company. I don't know if Sony worked with them on this at all, but there are a few companies out there making these types of chips and to make them as low power as possible, just so that you can literally make a portable device with say one of those coin cells, lithium ion cells, yeah. that could literally last a few years and and make it a just a and or user user repairable in terms of just being able to swap a battery out and and to have that distance and to do cool things with it for, you know, be it minor data transmitting or I don't know. It, it's kind of like Figure out smart cities, <laughs> smart city stuff where you need wide range because you don't know exactly where you, you might want to be collecting the data at any point, uh, especially as cities grow. And then you could also think, too, in the, along that same line, it's just something like location data, having small devices that are in fixed locations able to transmit a specific I am exactly right here. And if your phone can see mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. then even indoors, you would know exactly where you are. It could fold into something like that, too, which would be fantastic. On to Africa, everybody. Are we ready? The BBC reports on a container with solar panels pulled by a donkey. Yes, a real donkey that uses touchscreens to improve digital literacy in Mozambique. That country sits between South Africa and Tanzania. Now, while Kenya, which is in the news often, two countries to the north has 91% mobile penetration, Mozambique as less than 50%. The project is called Community Tablet. It's founded by Mozambique's Day Armad. A three-minute movie plays to introduce people to the topics. There are prizes like t-shirts and caps that are given out. And the audience can use smaller touchscreen tablets to answer questions about what they saw. The idea, to educate and empower communities on topics like public health, mobile banking, and also voting. Yeah, this is great because uh, a lot of times these these education efforts uh, will uh, involve pamphlets, uh, just to, and people just throw those away. Says uh, right. Dayamon. Uh, so this is a way to just get people's attention because you're giving away caps and t-shirts and you got this big old container and they've got the touch screens and it's fun and it's it gets people to uh, interact with it learn a little bit about what they want to teach you, whether it's about voting plans or, or mobile banking or, or whatever, and then spread the word and tell other people who then come back. So uh, he's he wants to make this a franchise. Uh, he, he's been getting funding from NGOs, uh, so he would like to do this more often. But I just found it a fascinating use of technology. It's like, let's not worry about connectivity. Other people can worry about that. How can I take technology and combine with, with what I know and what works and yeah. go and teach people in my own community because he's from Mozambique. And he said he was inspired by his kids. He saw his kids looking at YouTube and figuring out how-to stuff. And he's like, man, if I could just take a screen that shows how-to stuff to people in rural areas, uh, suddenly we could educate people a lot better. So that's what well, he did. And, and when you're talking about a, you know, a, a country with, with many people, many residents – uh, internet literacy under 50%, there's so much potential, you know, like, does it go the right way or the wrong way? You know, that, that has, has yet to sort of, uh, prove itself, but, uh, it, it, 
it it's it's a really good place to try something like this out. Folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. All right, Robert, uh, I know you were at Display Week in San Jose not too long ago, uh, looking at a bunch of display technologies. What did you see? Heck yeah. Uh, There were lots of cool new 2019 TVs they were showing off, of course. But I think right off the bat, I'll talk about some of the future tech. This is a, a show, Display Week. It's part of the Society of Information Display. And it's their annual show to bring in a select groups of vendors, as well as even folks like college students who are working on projects. And they have separate zones where you can see some of the really cool cutting edge things they're working on. One of the cool things was at the show uh, was an updated version of something we saw back at CES from Hisense. And this was what they called their dual cell LCD technology. Effectively, you're using two LCD panels smashed together, one to handle the color and the other to handle the contrast. And the demo we've seen previously used a 4K panel up front for the 4K resolution and color. And then behind that screen was another LCD screen that was 1080p, allowing it then to modulate the backlight and to be able to really do near per pixel level control of how bright each pixel is or dark. Uh, Very similar to what OLEDs are currently capable of in terms of producing that inky dark black where the pixel right next to it can be on at full blast without any kind of blooming or halo artifacts. This was simply showing yet another step up to it. Instead of using a 4K panel up front and a 1080p panel behind, they said, well, we've got this figured out pretty well. We're just going to go ahead and make it 4K all the way through. So each individual pixel on these TVs coming up will feature its own individual pixel just to moderate and modulate the light coming from the backlight system. What this will drive is something that is LCD technology, yet it is coming very, very close to what you get picture-wise out of an OLED, where you get that fantastic black level, you get decent, well, I'm not going to say, it's an LCD, so off-axis viewing is always going to be an issue, but it is really nice to have that per-pixel level control, especially when you're looking at things like letterboxed movies or any content that has dark and bright content in it, because this thing is, on a per-pixel level for an LCD, is able to just simply control light better than just about anything else I've seen. Big questions will be cost. I mean, how much more will it cost to actually sandwich a 4K panel to another 4K panel and make that all work fantastically? Uh, BOE is a Chinese manufacturer of panel technology, including LCDs and OLEDs, and they are the ones actually developing this panel with Hisense. And they're saying 2020, I want to say we'll probably see a demo of the 4K by 4K panel coming later this year. And overall, it was just impressive, even in its current state of the 4K and 2K panel. That's still a good level of control over per pixel lighting. And it just overall was just sweet and fantastic to spend some time uh, staring into. If you really want to look into the future, though, we're all talking 8K. And Japan Display Incorporated has been at the show for many years now, and they show off one of the coolest demos I think you'll be able to see anytime soon. And it's an AK panel about notebook size. I want to say it was about 17, 18 inches, 120 Hertz, AK resolution and full rec 2020 color, which is about, let's see DCI, which is used currently in your Blu-ray movies is a larger set of color than you would have say with your regular HDR content or uh, SDR content. And now 2020 is the full spec in terms of, almost single wavelength primary colors, red, blue, and green being laser-like in terms of that level of saturation 
and that ability then to display that at 120 hertz with an AK panel. And they had moving content showing the difference between 60 and 120 hertz, and that was all cool. But really having that full color palette of Rec 2020, which nearly encompasses every color you can possibly see in life. It was the most And this is like something that the human eye can discern. This was the most window-like LCD I have ever looked at. And it was just delicious. It actually used a laser-based backlighting system in order to achieve some of those super saturated rich colors. Uh, another panel that's already on the market, but they were happy to show this off in comparison to other premium OLED TVs was Vizio's P-Series Quantum X. This is an upgrade over the standard P-Series Quantum that's already out and about and a terrific value. 65-inch TV. They also have a 75-inch version. Big things about that will be the fact that it's dumping out close to 3,000 nits of light output. Supports all the HDR formats you like in terms of HDR10, Dolby Vision. And it's just going to be a good value. Actually, the P-Series Quantum X is starting off where the original P-Series Quantum started in terms of its pricing. And we're already seeing in terms of like, if you go into Costco, they have the current version of the P-Series Quantum for about under 1500 bucks for that 65-inch version. This is just good value. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan, per se, of the uh, Chromecast-enabled TV apps that are in the Vizio TVs. It's, it's just sometimes it can be a little odd, like there is no native YouTube app. But in terms of TVs overall, that one was just utterly for the money, it's one of the very brightest TVs out there, and it's going to be a very good good one to get in the lab and test out. Otherwise, if you want that OLED LG C9, that is their least expensive flat panel flagship that has their latest second generation Alpha 9 processor. Fantastic. Uh, compared to absolute, uh, the absolute picture quality of this TV compared to the 2018 model, not dramatically different. In fact, if you could find the 2018 I guess it would be the C8 on sale at a really good price. Don't 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 feel too bad about not going with the C9. But if you do, you get some good updates, including some new calibration features if you're a super video nerd in terms of just being able to eke out the best picture quality possible. Better handling of HDR content, uh, able to handle content that's been formatted for different luminance levels better. Uh, there's generally about three standards used in all of these 4K movies we're looking at. Varying the brightness and the luminous output, depending on how it was mastered. Uh, some, some authors are looking at content on monitors that only go so bright. So it's very hard for them to say, well, what would it look like if it were using the full spec of the HDR standard? And this in particular was just fantastic. Uh, beautiful picture quality overall. Now, if you're looking for LCD stuff, I will say the big thing about 8K TVs this year and right there is a picture of Samsung's Q900. That's their flagship 8K TV here in the United States. I think it's called the Q950 in Europe. That is a fantastically bright TV with some of the best upscaling I've seen to 8K. This demo, actually in that picture I was looking at, was several standard definition sources on, I think they were doing 480 on up to 1080 and just looking at how that scaled up to the AK panel. Considering we have very little AK TV out there, the Q900 is the AK version, and they also have a Q90. That's their 4K version. Single coolest thing about, I think, Samsung's TVs, in addition to just pretty damn good image quality overall, is an anti-reflective layer that's on the front of their TVs. They're currently the best at producing a film material that does 
amazing work in terms of minimizing a, a bright light in the room that might be reflecting off the screen and into your eyes. It minimizes that more than anybody else's tech currently. And this is something you're going to see a lot of bright TVs adopt as we go forward over the next couple of years is what else can you improve? Yeah. Minimizing reflection so you can see more of the screen and get more of that light into your eyes. And to me, those were just all just fantastic to look at. You know, Robert, while we have you, and it it harkens back to a few weeks ago when a lot of people watching Game of Thrones said, I couldn't see the long night. It was too dark. Yeah. Of of these TVs, these upcoming TVs, if I'm in the market for an 80-inch or thereabouts television, which I am, my my Samsung TV is, you know, it's smart TV, but a little long in the tooth. Where would you point me if if price was the most, the biggest consideration? Okay. For, for what size screen? 80. 80. Well, yeah. the, the NU8000, it's a 2018 Samsung TV. It's, I want to say, 82 inches. And it is 4K. It does support HDR formats, including HDR10. And it, it uniquely, among the, among the non-top-tier TVs out of Samsung, it also supports an automatic game mode and automatic refresh rate control. So if you are into gaming and you don't like fiddling with the controls every time the TV flips into game mode or not, or having to do that manually, this is something you could really jump up and uh, take a look at. That is also just one of the best deals, because once you get above, say, 75 inches for any LCD screen, it's suddenly just the price used to skyrocket. And I, I will say in the last two years, and this year in particular, that's like... 75 and bigger is the new 65 in terms of pricing and availability. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. It is, answer, it is. Yeah. There are more 80 plus inch options now than we've ever had. And something like that 2018 NU8000 is still out there. It is under $2,000 and it's going to be very hard to find something. You're going to get better image quality unless you're willing to spend at least twice as much. Well, good advice. Thank you, Robert. Thanks also to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook. We have a group there, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. And uh, we've got one more question to get to Robert Heron from the mailbag, Sarah. We do. Don in St. Louis says, have a question. Hope Robert can answer I haven't jumped into 4K TVs yet, but I'm shopping. I get the sense that local dimming is an important feature to enhance HDR, but how much is enough? In mid-price TVs, I see local dimming zones between 10 and 120. 10 or 20 seems low on a 65-inch TV. Is there a rule of thumb to determine the minimum dimming zones based on screen size? Full array local dimming. That's the first thing you really want to look at. Any TV that's advertising... A dozen local dimming zones is an edge-lit TV with some backlight control. When I talk about the backlight on an LCD television, it is literally LEDs either on the edges of the screen or one edge, or it's an array behind the screen, and that can be anywhere, like you said, from about 100 to 3, 4, 5. I've seen micro-LED demonstrations of five, 6,000 LEDs to get it to a more granular level of control over that backlight. If you're displaying like a space scene with some bright stars and planets and stuff on it, you don't want the dark, inky blackness of space being lit up full bore by that backlighting system. You want that to modulate down and then make that star punch up. But the big problem then becomes, can you control the blooming and other artifacts related to that within objects on the screen per pixel level control? More zones equal better control. So your better full array local dimming TVs like the latest, say the... 
the Q80 and the Q90 from Samsung and their their AK models, of course. They have improved dramatically. Also, want to say that P-Series Quantum X I just talked about, 384 zones of local dimming. That has a nice, fine array of LEDs behind it that can all be individually modulated. And it does definitely improve image quality if you're already sitting front and center on those types of TVs. It will make a better looking viewing experience. One feature I see some LCD televisions incorporate is if you like those letterboxed movies, TVs like Samsung's better models will actually be able to turn off all the backlighting behind the black bars. So they get inky dark approaching what it looks like with an OLED, but usually at a larger screen size or a brighter screen all over overall. But be aware of anything that's edge lit. You are really limited to zones that are usually around a dozen or less. And they're stripes. They're not even blocks. You're actually doing like if the LED backlighting system's on the bottom edge of the screen and it's shooting straight up and there's like 25, 30 LEDs across the bottom, it's creating very like very striped zones that doesn't give you individual area control. So it's going to be okay. It's, it, it is what it is. So it, it definitely costs, <laughs> it costs less to do it that way compared to having, you know, three, four, 500 LEDs behind the screen, each being modulated individually, depending on the content. Well, Robert Heron, we could talk about this all day. Unfortunately, we can't. However, for everybody who's who, who who's very interested in learning more, where can they keep up with all of your work? Yeah, take a look at my old website that's going away soon. Thank goodness, I'm almost done with this. <laughs> that's my website, though. You can hit it up at heronfidelity.com. If you really want to ping me, look me up on Twitter, at Robert Heron. Or you can check me out on AVXL with my buddy Patrick Norton when we get our podcasting on related to all things home theater folks if you want to keep this kind of content coming be sure to become a member and support us it is the majority way the show is funded at patreon.com slash dtns if you want to send us an email feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com is where to do it we are live monday through friday at 4 30 p.m eastern 2030 utc find out more and tell a friend at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live back tomorrow with scott johnson talk to you then show is part of the frog pants network get more at frogpants.com diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program (laughs) hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.